0: So you have these like competing trends, the buyer's wanting to stay anonymous, the seller is wanting to engage with them, but not having the data to do it. And so account intelligence is the antidote, you know, to all of this. And it's really just about ending this account blindness and finding ways to inject intelligence into the buying and the selling journeys.
1: Welcome to the OpStars Podcast, We host authentic conversations with revenue operations professionals running the show behind the scenes, holding things together, doing whatever it takes to innovate to solve problems, build processes, and manage the data to build a modern revenue engine that powers a great buyer experience. I'm your host, Rachel McBrarity. Welcome to today's episode of the OpStars podcast. I'm your host, Rachel McBrady, the CCO of Lean Data, and I'm excited to be joined today by John Miller. Welcome, John. Hey, how's it going? John is one of the foremost thought leaders and marketing entrepreneurs in the area of account based marketing. He co founded two successful companies, Marketo which sold to Adobe for $4.75 billion, and Engageo, a next-generation marketing platform to help B2B marketers understand, act on, and measure their account-based initiatives, which was acquired by Demandbase. John is currently the chief marketing officer at Demandbase. Demandbase is the smarter go-to-market company for B2B brands. And John is responsible for leading the company's account-based go-to-market strategy and delivering on its mission to transform how B2B companies market and sell. He is a speaker and author on the topics of marketing best practices. He has won numerous awards and accolades, including being named the most influential marketing CEO of the year in 2019. B2B marketing named John as one of the top most influential tech marketers in the world, and the CMO Institute named him a top CMO for companies under 250 million amazing accomplishments, John. We're super excited and, and grateful that you're here today.
0: So embarrassing to heard my bio read aloud, though. <laughs>
1: <laughs> well, no, You should be super proud. And I think the uh, contribution that you've made to B2B marketing has been invaluable. And I particularly appreciate your contributions you have made to the offstars community as well. So I want to say thank you. And yeah, we're excited to have you here today. I think we're going to jump in and talk about how we can use data to be a lot smarter in our go-to-market, how we can get some great intelligence around those accounts and further improve account-based marketing. Maybe before we get into that, John, I'd appreciate if you could share a little with the audience your key steps or decisions of your career journey. We're always super interested in how did you get where you are today?
0: Yeah, sure. I studied physics for my you know undergraduate degree. And I actually worked for my summers at the Lawrence Livermore National Lab uh, doing fusion research. And I got, you know, the a Q clearance, which is like the Department of Energy's version of a top secret clearance. I thought I'd go into academia and get my PhD. And I actually got into MIT for a physics program. But at the same time, you know, I looked at sort of the lives of these career physicists that I was working with. And it did seem like they were spending a lot of time looking for funding and not a lot of time actually doing groundbreaking science. And then I compared that to like the people at school who were going off and getting these like fancy management consulting jobs. So I was like, gosh, maybe I should at least check out this other world. I managed to defer my acceptance for my PhD and uh, got a job at a management consulting firm. And you know, my analytical quantitative background was hugely helpful. In the world of business and consulting, I ended up on the, all, a lot of projects that were really about using data and analytics to make better decisions around how to work with your customer. I liked the consulting world, so I sort of decided I'm going to stay there and not do the physics path, at least for a while. And I ended up at a small consulting firm that was really specializing in the sort of what we call value exchange analytics data about, about customers and kind of how we're going to treat them. The founder of this company, a guy named Alan Grant, realized that some of our customers could not implement the recommendations from the consulting because their systems wouldn't support it. And so he actually went and acquired an old campaign management tool. And we launched, relaunched that company under the brand name of Exchange Application. Eventually renamed itself as Exchange. It was quite successful and I had an IPO and was probably the leading marketing tech of the mid-90s. So I had sort of like this loose connection into the MarTech world through that. I left consulting to go to grad school. And when I was graduating my MBA in 1999, that's like the peak of the internet bubble. I sort of thought, hey, I'll go back to consulting. But, you know, kind of in the same way, like everybody's going to tech. I'm like, maybe I should check out tech. I ended up hooking up with this company called Epiphany, which was a pretty hot company with, you know, high profile CEO at the time, you know, great funding. And probably I could have never gotten a job there, except for the fact that they were building a new product that was going to compete with Exchange. And so the fact I had even the loosest connection there, somehow I convinced them to hire me as one of their first product managers. So that was my job out of business school. I was with Epiphany for seven years, grew through that IPO. Epiphany was probably the leading marketing technology of the internet bubble. When we finally sold Epiphany post-IPO on the other side of the internet bubble crash. And in 2005, I sort of found myself thinking about what I want to do next. And I started having conversations with Phil Fernandez, who had been my boss's boss from Epiphany. So he was the president and CCO of Epiphany. And we kind of realized we had a shared vision of a company we might want to start that would use this emerging software as a service infrastructure to create powerful marketing products that were easy to buy and easy to own and easy to use so that obviously became marketo which we co-founded again in 2005 and that was an amazing experience you know, at this point it's amazing to me how many people know and have heard of marketo and so i stayed there for 9 years until it didn't feel like my baby anymore you know it just got big enough post ipo but pre pre vista acquisition i was itching for kind of that entrepreneur experience again. And so I, in 2015, I set off to start Engageo, this time a CEO myself. And we were playing in the account-based marketing category because I really felt like that was going to sort of be the next next big thing. And it was the next big thing. So really good five years of Engageo standalone. But then you know right before the pandemic hit in 2020, I had started having conversations with demand-based, in particular, Gabe Rogal, who had just... Taken over as the new CEO, and we had a trust enough relationship. He shared his three-year roadmap with me, and I shared my three-year roadmap with him. And we realized that everything I wanted to build at Engageo was exactly what DemandBase was already great at, and everything that DemandBase was going to build over the next three years was what Engageo was great at. And once I saw that, you know, there was no choice but to like, we've got to find a way to combine these things. My my mission at Engageo was to build the next great marketing platform. Why wouldn't I want to jump three years into the future and accelerate getting to that outcome? So that's sort of the logical but semi-twisted journey of how I am here now as a CMO of demand base, you know, building the next great marketing platform at this company, but always sort of staying in Martech the whole time.
1: So CMO role? Why the CMO role?
0: First of all, it's, it's such a blessing to get to be a marketer, marketing to marketers. You know, so I was the CMO at Marketo, the original there. So a lot of my background. You know, has been, you know, I mean, some on the product side, but but probably more on the marketing side, especially focused on kind of demand generation, pipeline generation kind of activities. DemandBase had a CMO for a long time, very successful CMO named Peter Isaacson. And when we merged the companies together, he was the CMO. And I, you know, so I joined as the chief product officer. And, you know, the main thing I did there was I led the integration of the platforms, you know, into what is now the DemandBase one platform. But then the, the sort of beginning of 2021, it was time for Peter to move on. And I realized that, you know, frankly, I'd rather be the CMO than the CPO because that's more of my passion and love. So I, I took over the marketing team then.
1: Excellent. Well thanks for sharing that. Appreciate it. So let's let's of uh, jump into what I would love to talk to you today about account intelligence. Seems like a kind of a hot topic for you and I'm kind of curious what is making it top of mind for you? And is there a catalyst or some kind of change that's driving you to really be thinking about being more intelligent and wrapping data around those accounts?
0: Yeah. I mean, I think there's a couple things that are sort of driving, I think, the importance of account intelligence. You know, the first one is buying continues to evolve. That's sort of a obvious statement to say, you know, buyers today more than ever are looking for ways to stay anonymous, engage with sales later in the process, keep keep control, et cetera. And, you know, that's happening on the buyer side. Whereas on the seller side, what is going on is increasingly fragmented data. For example, just in Salesforce, right? You've got data about your leads and data about your accounts. They don't tie together unless you match them. You know, let alone the stuff that's sitting in your Marketo, on your web server, your email, in your calendar system. And that's just your first-party data. Plus, there's all these new third-party data sources. And the result of all this fragmented data is that your salespeople end up having to, frankly, make decisions around where they're going to focus and what they're going to do you know, using hunches as opposed to really good analysis. And it results in a lot of just spam, you know, and, and by spam, I, I'm not just talking about non-opt-in email. I'm talking about just every unwanted, irrelevant interaction but it just makes the buyer go, Are you serious? Why are you contacting me about this? Like, you know, how how can I opt this out or tune this out or toss this out? So you have these like competing trends, the buyers wanting to stay anonymous, the seller's wanting to engage with them, but not having the data to do it. And so account intelligence is the antidote, you know, to all of this. And it's really just about ending this account blindness and, and finding ways to inject intelligence into the buying and the selling journeys. So that's one of the trends. It's just this fragmentation of the data and the new buyer. The other trend which is driving this is a little bit more on the vendor side. And that is we're seeing a blurring of the lines between applications and data providers. For example, at Demandbase, last year we acquired InsideView, which was the second largest B2B provider of company and contact information after ZoomInfo. And Demandmatrix, which was the best provider of technology data, like install-based technology data. And so at Demandbase, we combined that data Technographics companies contacts with the intent data that we already had and our first-party data integrations, you know. So we sort of have that. You see other vendors in our space acquiring data companies. You see ZoomInfo moving from the data side kind of into the workflow side. They just launched a marketing OS or or kind of whatever they call that. And then you know you've got companies like Lean Data. We were just talking about this. You know, finding ways to integrate data more closely into your applications. So. It's a really different world than marketo was. you know marketo you you bought your marketo and it was kind of empty until you put data in and now instead, buyers expect and vendors can provide data that's just integrated right there with the workflow application.
1: We're hearing from our customers, b2B buyers want to have more simplicity. we had such an explosion I think across the board
0: and honestly, I think people are to be honest, happy to have an alternative to Zoom info. You know, on the data side, I mean, kudos to Zoom Info for doing what they did, consolidating so many companies and consolidating the market. But, but people do want alternatives.
1: I know some of our customers say, you know, Zoom Info might not even serve all their needs in all their markets. They actually do need diverse sources of of data because it might not be what they need in in a mirror, APAC, or other parts of the world. So, we lean data. We're looking at how do we help to integrate the various sources or you know, make sure that depending on your go-to-market, your objectives, you can pick from the right vendors and bring it together. When we talk about the data that would help drive that account diligence, what are we talking about? What are those categories?
0: That's a great question. And we sort of touched on them slightly, right? So first off, it does start with your first-party data. You know, this is the data that's sitting in your marketing automation, in your CRM, in your Google or Exchange emails and calendars. Plus, you know, your ad impressions and maybe your product and things like that. And to make that data actionable, you need to kind of collect it together, unify it, match it so that you sort of everything ties to the, you know, right account and then keep it clean and organized. That's step one. It's just good first party data. You know, whether that's done through a CDP or an embedded CDP with a tool like man base, that's step one. And step two is then you want to augment... Your now clean, organized first-party data with third-party data, and there's sort of I I like to think about kind of a few different buckets, five buckets of of that kind of data. So the the first category literally is just company information. Our database has about 22 million companies that are above five million of revenue, which is what we think most of our customers kind of care about. So you know, for your ICP, the customers you care about, do those accounts sit in your CRM? And if not, you probably should add them. You know, For the ones you have, is the data clean? Is it accurate? Is it updated? What about hierarchies? How do accounts relate to each other? And is that all set up nicely, properly in your CRM? If not, we've got the data that's going to kind of help you get that and maintain it. And frankly, new companies are entering into your ICP all the time. And existing companies are merging or growing or you know, you name it. So that's category one, company information. Two is good old contacts. You know, even though we're talking about accounts intelligence, you know, people work at accounts. So again, we've got about 110 million business contacts. We tend to focus a little bit more on kind of directors and above and companies, 5 million of revenue and above, you know, but you want to know, you're going to want to know at your accounts, who are the people that are in your ideal buyer profiles? Ideally, you want them in your, in your CRM and you want to know their email and their phone numbers and, you know, other pieces. And keep it clean and accurate, you know. And that's sort of your table stakes. But then you get to like more interesting pieces of data. Technographics or install-based technologies are really interesting. What we find is, at least for technology vendors, the install-based technology is often the number one factor in predictive models about ideal customer profile. And we certainly see that. Well, that demand base where it matters if you're on Salesforce or Dynamics or HubSpot. It matters if you're on Marketo or Pardot or you know Eloqua and whatnot. You guys at Lean Data, you really want to know who's on Salesforce, right? So that install-based technology is a really, really key piece of account intelligence. And it's not just that; it's also for partner data. You know, if you, I've got a customer, Matillion, that does cloud ETL, and so they want to know who's on Snowflake. That's a really good partner of theirs. And then also you want to know who has your competitors, and frankly, one of those contracts likely to be up for renewal. So that's all technographic data. Intent data is a fourth category, and we could probably talk the whole podcast just about intent data, but you probably have on other podcasts because everybody's talking about intent data. This is obviously the ability to know what topics people are reading out on third-party websites and then use that to sort of see who's interested in your topic, your categories, your company, or your competitors. And then the last category really kind of comes into kind of like, you know, news and connections. These are, you know, sort of, I don't, I should come up with a better name for it, but this is the, the bucket of reasons to reach out, right? We know these people in common, or you have a new funding announcement or, you know, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So those are the five main buckets. Underneath the whole thing is the matching technologies. And in particular, one that we care a lot about at base is account de-anonymization. There's a visitor on a web page. I don't know who that person is, they're anonymous, but what company do they work for? And the data behind that is a big database matching cookies and IPs to companies that is constantly being updated and maintained.
1: I love that last one because that is always such a pain point to not know who is out there. If you can at least know the account that's bubbling up, that's pretty huge.
0: It has so many important use cases. On your own site, 98% of the people on your site aren't cookied. So you want to know who's visiting. It's a way to measure if your ad programs are working. You start seeing more traffic from the accounts that care about. And then we use that data also to form our intent data and target our advertising. So it's it's pretty critical, uh, not just to have high match rates, but to have high accuracy.
1: So when when you think about applying this data, like say somebody in operations, should they be thinking in terms of their key go-to-market motions? So let's say, hey, you're... Strategy is you want to go after those top 2000 companies out there. It's a account based motion. How would you advise an ops person to try to guide toward building up your key data categories? Is there a way to yeah. think about this strategically, John?
0: I would break it up into sort of, you know, the, I mean, there are five main go to market motions that I'd want to talk about, right? Which for me are, you know, find, engage, close, measure, and expand. So let's break those down right? So, you know, find can mean different things, to different companies, right? So if you have only 2000 accounts in your ICP that you're ever going to focus on, find is sort of who are those 2000, and then maybe using data to break them into tiers of 20 tier ones and 200 tier twos and everybody else, 1700 tier threes. And we could talk a lot about how you might do that tiering. But find can also mean, you know what, I have a big ICP, TAM, and maybe it's 50,000 or 100,000 companies I could be selling to, but which ones should I be focusing on right now? Because either intent or other predictive signs that they're kind of hot and in market. So find really can kind of be both of those you know, pieces. So then engage. Ultimately, if you're engaging with account, you'll want to be relevant. You want to be smart. You know, you, They're going to tune you out otherwise and account intelligence helps you be more relevant. One of the most important factors in relevance is aligning your go-to-market, your messages to where that account is in their journey, right? So if this account is barely even heard of you and isn't showing any intent for your category, you should be focusing just on building your brand and awareness. And it's like emotion, frankly, not logic, right? Or maybe this account, is aware of your category, but they're not really engaging with you. This is where thought leadership can work really, really well. Or maybe this account is hot and in market, right? And well, that's where a demo offer and other kind of very valuable offers. And maybe it's an open opportunity. And here, validation and consensus makes sense. Like, oh, look, we're the number one vendor on the Gartner ABM quadrant. And like, you're showing that to the broad buying committee. And even your customers, like you can be focusing ads on like expansion and retention. So just just knowing where they are in their journey is a really key way of using account intelligence for relevance, but also things like what technologies they have, you know, lots of other factors there can help you just get that extra degree of relevance, which is going to stand out when you're engaging. The close use case, that's really about your sales teams, right? And it's just about giving all the intelligence to the sales team. So that way they're more relevant and useful in their interactions. Measurement is, there's lots of ways you're going to measure, right? Whether you're doing MQLs or MQAs or waterfalls or you name it, right? But ultimately, you want clean, organized account data in order to make sure your measurement is accurate and valuable. And then expansion, frankly, ends up being a lot, just its own form of find and engage. It's just it's focused on kind of opportunities with your own account. So those are all ways I would think about kind of using account intelligence to just be a lot smarter about how you do things.
1: I love that. I think that the heart of that is that buying experience, understanding what the client is trying to do, what stage they're at, and then making sure you're serving up and responding in in a way that's appropriate to where they are in that journey.
0: I really do think that's the sort of the number one part of the go-to-market where account intelligence really kind of pays off.
1: Yes, I think you can easily think about the data being used to serve the internal audiences or make them smarter. But when you articulated how you really think back from the journey, then you equip the folks that are going to engage. Either you're providing content, you said, because it's appropriate to provide thought leadership or maybe getting them engaged in a webinar versus having the salesperson call them. It's just not the right time. But it's in service of making sure you're creating that correct response. And that's a way in ops professionals can start thinking about helping to ensure that, you know, you're framing out those um, key buying journey stages and then saying, yeah, where are the deficiencies of where we're not able to maybe understand or react to, to mm-hmm. those accounts it's based on where they're at. And there might be hot spots where your conversion's not great. Um, there's probably no one answer to what could be a priority.
0: Exactly right. But with the, the unifying theme across all of those is just using data intelligence to be smarter. Who doesn't want that?
1: Right, it would apply no matter what level of maturity your company is at or stage. At every stage, you can... You can actually be hugely competitively differentiated if you pull this data in and, and use it to drive the business. Absolutely. Somebody articulated recently that you know in B2B, you could argue that buying experience and your ability to be relevant, right? To write the right response at the right time in the right personalized way, ideally, is a bigger deal to you winning and keeping that customer than your product itself. Because in B2B, we're more patient with the length of time it takes to get to value of a product. We might even wait six months before we get to value. But when you engage with a company, you request a demo and you don't hear from them for three or four days. You're kind of like, is this the kind of response I'm going to get when I'm a customer? How important that buying experience is to, to the business overall.
0: You're really highlighting where the data and the intelligence intersect with the workflow and the application to sort of get the outcomes, you know, which is where that orchestration ends up being so important.
1: I know you talk to a lot of folks out in the industry. Any great stories or examples that you might have of folks have, you know, invested in and, and built up this account intelligence and have really seen a, a great as-is-to-be?
0: Let me just talk about what I said, demand base. We're really pretty good at account-based experience ourselves and and using the data. So I'll give you a couple of examples. You know, we've been, I would say, eight months ago, we suffered a little bit from being the cobbler's children who didn't have shoes. And we've made a really focused effort in the last, you know, six, seven, eight months to up our our data game ourselves. And it's, it's actually shocking and amazing how it's paying off. Just in this last quarter, we were able to identify 23,000 more campaign responders that are people, what we would consider ICP. So the right titles and personas from the right companies that we wouldn't have missed before because we just didn't have accurate data on them. You know, So just literally taking the campaign responses we were getting anyways, but figuring out who they were better, frankly, you just a lot better engagement and it matters because we route those things differently and they get treated differently if we actually think they're properly, you know, ideal buyer profile. So so that was kind of a win in of itself. We recently did a, a email campaign and just the fact that we had a sort of larger audience of the right kind of people to email, this one actually had a four time better response rate than the one we did last time. Now, maybe it was a better offer too, but I we do give a good chunk of that credit to just having better, cleaner uh, data behind it. You know, in terms of the sort of marketing that we do aligned to the journey stage, where that's paid off for us in just an amazing way is increased lift from our advertising efforts. You know, so to explain that, we don't measure our advertising directly by clicks, because that's a really terrible way to be honest to measure advertising like you know advertising is like a trade show where like it's got branding benefits and and directly generation benefits but lift is actually a really cool way to measure if it works cuz what we're doing is we're saying we look at how much engagement we get from an account for like a 30 day look back period and then we start running our campaign and then we can look at how much engagement are we getting now and we consider an account lifted if there's a decent, significant chunk higher engagement after the campaign or during the campaign than there was before. And so I don't have to track directly this clicking. I just have to know they that account saw ads and that account is engaging better, whether they're visiting my site more or responding to my emails better. So a reasonable benchmark we find if Lyft is about 25%. So if you're doing your ads, maybe you assume 25% of the accounts you're targeting will get Lyft Since we've shifted to this sort of journey-based targeting, if you will, we're seeing lift ranging from 50 to 80% by stage, which is double, triple the benchmark. But even better, you think about it, like accounts in my pre-opportunity stage, what we call sort of the sales accepted stage, 80% of those counts are having lift. which means my my targeting is, is working. And then we see that in terms of faster conversion, where we were able to take, you know, before it was about 30 days between sort of our meeting stage to opportunity stage after that was reduced to 16 days. Just, and again, the the key there is really focusing the message on the go-to-market in a journey appropriate way.
1: Well, Those are amazing stats you talked about a couple of things that you're measuring. You have your dashboards that you are looking at maybe at a daily, weekly, monthly basis. What would you advise are the key dashboards to set up for a CMO that's really going to help to know how you're doing on that account level?
0: It's not dissimilar to what CMOs were looking at five or six years ago. The difference is instead of having a lead-based waterfall, I encourage an account-based waterfall. CMO dashboards used to have how many MQLs were generated this month. How many SQLs were generated? How many opportunities were generated? And what was my conversion rate from MQL to SQL? And that was really powerful for CMO to even to have that data. So do the same thing, but instead of MQLs, track MQAs. How many marketing qualified accounts do I have? And how do those MQAs turn into meetings with the account? And how do meetings or SQAs turn into opportunities? So it's it's not dramatically different from what's been tried and true and proven, but it's just shifting to an account-based lens, which is frankly what the sales team is looking at anyway. So it just kind of makes sense.
1: In B2B, it's all account-based because it's buying groups. I mean, it just intuitively makes sense. You would want to think this way. Do you have that cohort? How is that account doing? You know, you don't have to measure each individual lead. You're looking at the cohort and And then, yeah, is there certain individuals that you can then identify who is the the buyer, who is the influencer, because you know your persona and you can then act accordingly. Is that fair to say?
0: Yeah. I mean, it's a lot smarter for a bunch of reasons, including what you just said. You know, the problem with the lead-only based approach is, first off, you might miss out a situation where you're getting a fair amount of engagement from lots of people, you know, as opposed to spiky from one or two. Lead-based approaches also don't let you identify engagement that can only be tied to the account. Things like intent data isn't tied to individuals. So if you want to incorporate that in your model, it has to be at the account level. So there's lots of good reasons why I think, I'm not saying throw away MQAs completely, they still have a place, but why MQAs also are important. And then exactly as you say, when you have an MQA, right, you get to be smarter about, okay, who am I going to reach out to at that account? And it doesn't have to be the junior person who came by the trade show booth, you know, and that can be a lot more effective if you're smart and how you reach out.
1: Yeah, I love that. All right, John, thank you so much for that. I have two final questions for you in closing. And the first is what advice would you have for someone who's just starting out in their first operations role?
0: Yeah, well, I think first off, you know, I love the fact I studied physics. Again, that way of thinking and that facility with numbers and math have been just an incredible boon to me as I've sort of done things with various operations. So really even earlier than starting in the first operations role, you know, is I think it's okay to lean into uh, a quantitative education, uh, even if you end up deciding to go into Martech or something something else. In terms of, okay, someone who's actually now in the job, you know, regardless of the background, the best mart operations people I've worked with ever in my career don't read the manual don't necessarily even go through like the training they just touch all the buttons you know like oh what does that one do what does this do and and there's just that curiosity that uh, I encourage every operations person to cultivate i think it really pays off
1: excellent great advice and final question who in the world of operations would you most like to take to lunch
0: yeah i was thinking about this and who I'd like to most take to lunch is the operations team I had back at Marketo. So almost every one of those folks have gone on and built amazing careers as marketing operations leaders. So there's folks like, you know, Chris Russell who runs a consultancy called um Double Hall and Christy Saunders who, you know, now has, you know, kind of runs her, her own business uh, CS2. It would just be fun to catch up with them and also reminisce about all the crazy things I made them do, trying to sort of do account-based stuff with Just Marketo, uh, which wasn't really built for it, and in many ways was part of the inspiration for Engageo.
1: Yeah, excellent. We had Chrissy on the show. She was one of our early guests. I'm a a big fan of of Chrissy. She's fantastic. Well, there you go. All right. Well, thank you, John. Appreciate you being on the UpStars podcast and sharing your insights on uh, how we can be more effective in account-based intelligence. I I encourage everyone to go download John's book, Clear and Complete Guide to Smarter Go-To-Market. I will put the link in the show notes. So be sure to go get that book and and read it. Don't forget to click to subscribe to the OpStars podcast so you can get more episodes like this great one we did with John. We will alert you when they are posted. Thanks everyone for joining us today. Thank you, John. The Opstars podcast is brought to you by Lean Data. To find out more about us and our suite of Salesforce native products for marketing, sales, and revenue operations, head to leandata.com. And then make sure to search for Opstars in Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and Google Podcasts, or anywhere else podcasts are found. Make sure to click subscribe so you don't miss any future episodes. On behalf of the team here at Opstars and Lean Data, thanks for listening.